Welcome to Marketing with Confidence. I'm your host, Marianne Amies. We're going to be talking all things digital and online marketing for business owners and marketing professionals. If you've been feeling overwhelmed by your digital marketing, be sure to listen along and you'll hear tips, interviews and more that will give you the confidence to create marketing you love. And welcome back to another episode of Marketing with Confidence. Thank you so much for joining me again today. I hope you've been enjoying the content of this podcast and this episode surely won't disappoint. Today, I'm going to talk to you about five little to no cost marketing ideas for small business owners in 2023. Obviously, 2023 around the world is a year of uncertainty. Most countries or, or most large countries are going through some sort of either recession or, I guess, conservatism around spending of money. And I know certainly in Australia, uh, where I am, that small business, you know, can get hit hardest in hard times. And we hear a lot about, you know, how great ads are for our business or how great it is to enlist a, you know, a marketing expert. But I know for some businesses, the costs that are involved make it prohibitive. So today I wanted to jump on and just talk to you about low to no cost ideas because for small businesses, almost more than any other type of business, marketing is so important. We don't have the, the big brand awareness of big business. Uh, we don't, you know, have the extended workforce that are, that are spreading words through their network. So we need to make sure we're small but mighty and we maximize every opportunity. We want to know who our ideal client is, of course, and then we want to put in place strategies and tactics that are getting our brand to those ideal clients and, you know, getting in front of the right eyes so that they can see that you have the, the product, the service, the, the offer, the solution that is exactly what they need. Marketing doesn't have to be expensive and it can be done on a budget. Funnily enough, in my own corporate marketing career, my first role was for a really small car company or my first role as a graduate. I had worked all throughout my uni degree, um, studying in accounting, as many of you might know, and then I did events for the Australia Day Council. And then I worked back in an accounting firm at KPMG, but in the marketing department. So when I was coming to graduate from uni, there are a lot of graduate programs and that was really exciting to sort of come out as marketing management and go into a grad program. I actually accepted a graduate program offer with the Commonwealth Bank and it was a really exciting program and we would work through different divisions. Um, and at the 11th hour, a, a family friend actually offered me the opportunity to come into a small business and to have sort of the flexibility to to build my own marketing function for this business. I was, gosh, 23 at this point. And he sort of said, you know, we don't have anyone in marketing or we've just lost our person in marketing. There's an opportunity for you to come in, work directly with me and, you know, have a lot of control and, and bring your new creative ideas straight out of, of uni. And, um, you know, it was an amazing opportunity this was a small car company, a Malaysian car company called Proton. And Proton, I mean, today, maybe like a Haval, you know, a lot of the small car companies 
we were competing with at that time were like your Hyundai and your Kia, but now they're they're massive established brands. But back then we were all in this sort of challenger brand positioning, you know, going up against the Toyotas and the Fords and the Holdens. And obviously in automotive marketing, the, the brand of the car is often the driver for a lot of people. So it's quite a challenging category to market a challenger brand, you know, let people are less likely to take a chance on something that's Twelve thousand dollars, then you know, take a chance on a a challenger brand in a in a sub fifty dollar category, if that makes sense. So working for Proton for about a year and a half as their, you know, I actually didn't get the title of marketing manager, although God knows I fought for it, but I was their marketing coordinator for a year and a half, and it was just little old me in that marketing department, and I had a pretty small budget, and I can tell you my time there taught me so much about thinking outside of the square, getting creative, using networks, negotiating, and just, you know, being small but mighty. And when I went into bigger businesses, you know, following that, I went and worked for Revlon, Elizabeth Arden, Pacific Brands, Holden, where budget was infinite. I, you know, could spend oh gosh, you know, a a launch on a mascara, I may have had a a two or $300,000 budget to launch a new mascara. At Proton, I was probably lucky to have 100,000 for my whole year of marketing. But that small budget teaches you to be really clever. It teaches you to be really analytical, to not say yes to everything, to really look for that business case and you know, consider if that option is right. Consider if that opportunity is going to give you bang for buck. Um, And, you know, this is before social media. I'm talking 2003 and I'm really showing my age now. Um, But there was no social media. So, you know, I'm, this is the days of newspaper and magazine and radio. And when you don't have big budgets, a lot of those things aren't as accessible. So I think I've taken throughout my whole career journey and in some ways, you know, setting up Wise Up Marketing, my agency, and it being so dedicated to small businesses, that's kind of been born from that passion and that creativity I got to, uh, you know, play with when I worked with a much smaller budget, uh, my bigger budget brands, they came sort of rinse and repeat. You know, you could afford everything. So you did everything. You didn't really question it. And, you know, you you just kept going. So I want to really, I guess, encourage you that having a small budget doesn't mean you shouldn't be marketing. You should always be marketing. There's always opportunity. When you're busy, there is always opportunity. You know, your, your full funnel today does not mean that you're full in a couple of months time. So today I'm going to take you through five ideas about marketing on a budget when you're a small business, product or service business, and in 2023. So as I touched on in my previous small budget marketing role, we didn't have social media. So, you know, hallelujah for, for the century that we're in now. Social media is obviously a wonderful, free and low cost, if you use ads strategically, marketing tool. You obviously have the opportunity to not only get directly in front of your ideal client if they are on social media um, and also be able to look at data to confidently know 
that you're getting in front of your ideal client. So social media gives you that ability to talk directly to your ideal client, to look at analytics and and know with confidence what you've been doing. You've got so many platforms to choose from. There are very few businesses where we can't find a social media platform where their ideal client is engaging. From Facebook to Instagram, LinkedIn to Pinterest, TikTok, you know, to Twitter, if if you'll go there. There is communities of your ideal client on these channels. It is so important to be where your ideal client is. And I've spoken about this before. You know, we can't just turn up on the social media channels that we like. We have to turn up on the social media channels where our ideal client is. It is so important to engage our customers on social media, to put valuable content out there. It's not always about sell, sell, sell. You know, there's so much benefit to give, give, and then show the value that you can add and then show the social proof of a testimonial and then showcase your services. But from that perspective of giving, of adding value, you create a social media dialogue that people want to be involved in. None of us love those super salesy accounts. None of us love those super dry accounts. We want to build connection. And more and more, we want to build a personal connection. We want to feel that one-to-one engagement between us and a business or us and a business owner. So certainly there's using social media as your business, but if you're a business owner that is visible within the business, you know, and, and comfortable with being visible within the business, there's a real opportunity of showing your voice within your social media as well. I touched on as well that we can use ads as a low-cost strategy with our free or, you know, organic social media. As someone who has worked in social media ads and around social media ads for almost a decade, we certainly put out the message that, you know, boosting posts is not great. And I stand by that. Boosting posts can lead to a result where you're, you know, you're chewing through dollars, but you're, you know, you're not getting getting return. And even just saying this now, I, I think I'm going to do a podcast on how to boost posts, you know, and get a return. But, you know, at the very top line before I do that podcast, if you're boosting posts with small amounts and you're either doing it to broaden the awareness of your social media account or you're driving it to a specific link on your website and you're saying very specifically what you want them to do, spending $100 a month boosting posts strategically is actually not a bad low-cost way to further that social media um, investment of your time. If you're investing your time heavily in the organic side, putting a little bit of money behind some posts here and there, will actually help you get out. And look, in 2023, that's quite important because organic alone is quite hard now to, especially if you don't already have engagement, to get up and running and get engaged. The second idea for you today is collaborating with influencers. So influencers can shortcut your connection and awareness with your ideal client. If there's a a person who has built advocacy and trust with a community that is your ideal client, 
this person introducing your brand product service into that ideal client's world shortcuts them having to build trust and credibility directly with you. So we all see it. We all are subject to it. You might follow a celebrity. I'm gonna what's popping to mind for me right now is Jules Sebastian. I followed Jules Sebastian, I think in COVID with her um her cocktail <laughs> recipes. Um, they were dark times. And you know, she would make these amazing cocktails of the week or she'd make grazing boards, and it was really fun. But then at different points, she started introducing products and, and moving, I guess, into that more influencer space. Now, you know, if she then wore a blazer from a brand I hadn't heard of before and I liked it and then I went and looked at that profile, I had more confidence in buying from that brand than if that brand showed up in my discovery feed or showed up on my ads. You know, we often sort of get those new brand ads and we think, oh, what's the quality like? What's this blazer going to feel like when I get it? What's the sizing like? What's the, you know, what is that sort of um, how it looked on Instagram versus how it looked when I got it home? But through an influencer, we shortcut that trust and credibility point. And obviously, influencers can help us across lots of product base. They can also help us across service base as well. If you work authentically with an influencer, say you're a naturopath and you work authentically with an influencer and you help them across their personal health and well-being journey, and they talk about that, of course you're going to get the advocacy of that. You're going to get people saying, I saw what you did for, you know, Sarah Smith. I also have that. I'd love to book with you. So, you know, influencers have sort of had different degrees of criticism over the years, and, and you have to be really conscious of who you approach to work with you can sort of have a look at what your ideal client engages with. So again, really knowing who your ideal client is helps you to go on social media channels and look at the content your ideal client would be looking at. Then you can look at these people, influencers, voices of authority, and you know follow them yourself and start to look at the content that they put out. Start to look at the engagement they get. Do they get a lot of likes? Do they get a lot of questions? Do their reels, if it's, you know, Instagram, go viral? If it's LinkedIn, you know, do they get reposted? You know, TikTok, the same. Do they get do they get spliced on TikTok? Have a look at what the, not just what they're putting out, but how it's being received as best you can. And then Think of how you can work with them. So not all influencers need uh, a money monetary payment. So some of them will do contrast. So contrast is when, you know, you might provide them with your product or service with a clear agreement in place of what they will deliver. And I think that bit is really crucial for me. I obviously in our agency, we do influencer reach out. We have those conversations and then we always email a, you know, an outline of what their expectation is and have them agree to it. Um, you know, obviously, if you're going with a, like a high-priced item or you're investing a high amount in them, you would probably want to have something legally drawn up. But I would say, you know, if it's under 100 to $200 in the exchange of either cash product service 
I would just be writing an email and saying, you know, as agreed on Instagram or as agreed on TikTok, you will do X, Y, Z, we will provide ABC and having them reply. And then, it, you know, it is really about good faith um, and, and you know, and seeing how that goes. So this could be things like somebody hosting a giveaway for you. It could be that you give them some product and then give them a code and you say to them, if anyone purchases product using your code, I'm going to give you 5% of the sales as well or 10% of the sales. It can be, as I said before, services where you uh, you know, you treat them and then you have them talk about the fact that they're working with you and what those outcomes are. So in your influencer agreement, you'd be agreeing to things like number of posts, number of stories, number of video, that you have access to use that content, um, you know, for a particular period of time. So you can, you know, repost it on your own social media as well. Um, and, you know, you'd have in there any other agreements uh, around how that content will be produced when and, and distributed. Another great free marketing strategy for you is email marketing. I think 2023, I have seen a dramatic increase in people talking about email marketing. In 2021 and 22. Things like Facebook ads were really generating, especially for e-com. And I've spoken before at length around, around why I think that is. I think where e-com especially has been disenchanted with Facebook ads and, and fell to pull back in what those results look like or how they contribute to the customer journey, how that's evolved. I think we've moved more to, you know, lifetime customer value. I have spent money attracting customers. Now, how can I get more out of them in their lifetime? And that's where email marketing can come into play. Email marketing is, you know, low cost or free, depending on the email marketing platform you use. Um, I'm having a lot of clients tell me they're switching to MailerLite. Uh, I believe it has free and low cost plans and, and having a look in there myself it does feel a bit MailChimpy. Um, I know a lot of people left MailChimp over the last few years because of the cost, but I've only seen Active Campaign and and Clavio, you know, increasing cost in a in a similar trajectory. Um, I was just talking actually yesterday to a client about the cost of email programs, and and I said to him, you know, don't forget to clean your list if you have a list of 10,000 people, but every month only 1,000 open the email, take the other, you know, 9,000 out and just store them somewhere should you want to email them at some point. But don't leave them in your MailChimp where you're being charged for the total volume uh, of contacts that you have. So this is a bit of a tip for you to look at your list, look at who's unengaged, and that might be, you know, unengaged for 90 days or unengaged for 180 days and consider sort of archiving them out of your email marketing program to save you on those fees. With our email marketing, we have this opportunity to be in the inbox. And it's really important from a mindset point of view that you remember you were given permission to be in the inbox. We, we sometimes get worried about, I don't want to annoy them and I don't want to bombard them with emails you gained permission to be in there. And if they don't want to be a part of that communication, 
they will unsubscribe. You have given them a way to unsubscribe or if you haven't, please immediately add it because it, it, it's a legal requirement that they can one-click unsubscribe from your email. You want them to be able to unsubscribe because you only want to be emailing people that want to do future business with you. And what we've seen, especially this year, is that frequency of email is not necessarily having any negative impacts. You know, I've got certain clients that that send high frequency to their database and the open rate stays pretty consistent and the unsubscribe rate you know, it doesn't um, it doesn't balloon, which was my expectation looking at that frequency. So, you know, having lots of regular emails, it, it also just helps to ping their memory that you exist. Even if they delete that email, you know, nine times out of 10 that it comes in, there's still that brand awareness. There's still that ongoing communication and, and sort of interaction between your brand and, and your customer. Building your email list can sometimes feel quite challenging and I think that is somewhere where you could definitely be looking at other businesses and and how can you work together to build email lists if you have aligned audiences, making sure, um, you know, your email or any sort of uh, customer communications has, you know, sign up to our newsletter and the why, the why that's beneficial running things like low-cost lead generation ads, so maybe having an always-on ad that, you know, spends, a you know, $100 a month and it's a, a way to build that email list. And then not forgetting to tell people on social media to sign up. If you're very active on social media, making sure that you're saying, hey, I've got a great newsletter coming out tomorrow and I'm talking about these three things you don't want to miss it. Get on my list today. Here's the sign-up link. And that sort of dovetails into the next piece about creating engaging newsletters. If you want people to open your newsletters, read your newsletters, appreciate the value, see the value that you're putting out there, you need to make sure that it's jam-packed with content that they want to receive. And it sort of comes back to that social media point of adding value. Don't make the newsletter just about you and your products or services and your offer that you're pushing. Make sure there's some lifestyle content. Make sure there's, you know, a blog or an article if that's relevant or some tips or some key dates or, um, you know, that that content that's, that's deeper than just you pushing out what you want. Obviously, in, in e-commerce, it's about having offers and things that make them feel there's an exclusive benefit to having signed up to your newsletter, you know, sales that might not happen on social media, but they get them for for being signed up to your newsletter. And then, you know, with service-based businesses, I think there's always a great opportunity to talk about what's happening, you know, in the team or for yourself and, you know, your update of what's going on or what, you know, talk about a conversation that you've had with clients. You know, you might be a mortgage broker, you might make your update in your newsletter this month. You know, I've got a lot of people telling me they're they're feeling cautious about buying property, you know, but my take on it is X, Y, Z. And so, you know, you create a newsletter that people want to read and they look forward to reading. My fourth tip for you is offering referral incentives. As a small business, especially, I think more and more people appreciate that small businesses need support. And I think there's, you know, an openness to saying as a small business, 
as a small business, we thrive on referrals. We can take it one step further. As a small business, we thrive on reviews and referrals and explain to them, you know, how they can do either thing. Telling them that, you know, if they're really enjoying the work that you're doing with them, if there's somebody else that could benefit from that work, you'd love to be referred. Sometimes our clients think we're too busy. I know I get asked all the time by clients and they say, oh, I was going to, you know, someone I was thinking I could refer to you, but are you guys too busy? And I always say, no, we're never too busy. You know, we'll always find capacity because obviously we can increase resourcing if we need to. But, you know, if there's an ideal client business out there that especially your current client wants to refer you to, that's great advocacy. That's great alignment. You know, you want to be able to grab onto those opportunities. And as I said, as a small business, we tend to have more personal connections. We tend to have more emotion with our our customers and clients. So their referrals are, you know, so, so rich and so deep. And, And again, another example, I have a a client who, you know, beautifully refers me all the time, but she's known to be quite discerning. And I had a a referral call me and basically say, you know, um, I've heard about you from my friend and, you know, she's really fussy. So if she said you guys are good, I know you must be great. And again, you know, no amount of social media posts could communicate that to somebody the same way as that one-to-one trusted friend, trusted advisor conversation will. Obviously, we can add referral programs to encourage our customers and our clients to refer. So on e-com, um, certainly through Shopify and WooCommerce, there's great widgets that you can add to help people refer. And in that way where they both benefit, you know, the refer a friend and when they buy, you know, they'll get 20% off and you'll get 20% off your next purchase. You know, that win-win sort of thing. Because even though people, you know, have the best intentions to refer, sometimes that little reward can just motivate them a bit more. Uh, For, you know, for bricks and mortar, for, you know, coffee shops or cat or restaurants, you know, having some sort of stamp a card or, you know, if you or, or giving people cards and they can write their name on it. And you say, if we get five of these cards back, you'll, you know, you'll have free coffee for a week. Or if we get five of these cards back, say your chiropractor, you'll get uh, you know, you'll get your your next treatment for free. So having things in place and making sure people know about them as well. You know, the best kept secret referral plan is not doing anybody any favors. You need to make sure people know. And sometimes we might feel, I guess, pushy to to say, you know, oh, if you reward, if you refer someone in, we'll give you a free bottle of wine. But also you can talk about maybe on your social media or maybe in your newsletter that sort of referral program or even conversationally, you know, oh, yes, oh, we got a referral the other day and, you know, we were so excited. Oh, then we sent them the bottle of wine because we always do that for our referrals. You know, you can drop it in in a way that's not you directly telling them as well. Um, But I think, you know, that referral, and again, that can extend to reviews, you know, as a small business, Google reviews, although, you know, they're taken with a grain of salt, they still are important, um, especially, again, for bricks and mortar, uh, sort of personal services, health and wellbeing services, you know, people will go and check out those Google reviews. So 
thinking about how you can reward people for making that sort of review. Or again, just remembering to ask, you know, when you make it easy for someone, when they're finishing up something with you and you send them an email and say, I have enjoyed working with you so much. If you've if you've enjoyed working with us, click here to leave a review now. Or if there's someone that you think could benefit from working with us, please, you know, send them our way. So remembering to ask and and that our clients aren't, they're not mind readers, you know, they're not necessarily attuned to how important it is to small business owners. And that brings me to my last point today is about collaborating with local businesses. If you're a small business that's a location-based business, collaborating with other location-based businesses is so powerful sort of that community feel when, you know, again, when your ideal client is already going, you know, to the butcher and then you're opening a bakery, you know, how can you guys work together? How can you benefit off of what they've created, but how can you also give back? You know, what sort of joint offers can you have? Um, is there events? Again, you know, if you're a, a local printing company or, a, you know, a local printing franchise and there's a local marketing agency, you know, what? how can you guys work together? Could you co-host an event? Could you cross-promote each other's products or services? I think having that sort of local strong community and, you know, it doesn't have to be that one street local business. It can be the bigger you know, area, you know, your your kind of local businesses may be all within 15 or 20 minutes of you. They don't have to be purely together. You know, also collaborating with other local business owners just for your own business development, although it's not directly about marketing to your end consumer, sometimes the learnings we pick up from other local business owners, you know, their knowledge of the area, their insight to what's going on with our customers right now, their ideas of what's worked in the past, that can enrich us and motivate us to come up with those new marketing ideas or to commit to that activity that we keep putting off. So, so much power in being a local business and working with other local businesses. You know, we all know when there's a thriving local group of businesses, they all do better. You know, it's very hard to be the one performing business on a, on a street of, of other shops that nobody really wants to go to. You know, people love a bit of a destination. Oh, I, I know I can go there and I can get my nails done and pop into the bakery and, and go quickly to the, the florist and order flowers for my friend and, you know, go to the pharmacy and pick up a few things. I think we still really love those local business interactions and, and, you know, those businesses working together will strengthen each other. So, you know, that could even be joint marketing campaigns. You could make a local business, you know, incentive, like loyalty card where it's sort of, you know, they're stamping a card no matter which business they spend with and, and, you know, then going into a drawer to win a hamper once a month or whatever it might be, having that cross-collaboration and fostering that sense of community, which I think in 2023 people are wanting more. They're wanting that more real hands-on, you know, face-to-face, person-to-person connection that we missed out on, you know, for, for a couple of years there. I really hope that these five ideas 
give you sparks of creativity and help to assure you that it's not just about the big budgets. It's not just about enlisting experts. There are low-cost marketing activities and no-cost marketing activities that your small business can do to keep you thriving even when you don't have as much uh, excess budget to invest where you need. And, and the most beautiful thing is really dedicating yourself to, to small and, and low cost marketing activities means you're going to generate new business and then you'll have a clear idea of where you want to invest in support and what you want to give away, whether it, you know, you don't enjoy doing it or you don't have the time to do it. You'll be in such a stronger position to know what your needs are, what your gaps are and what really works for your business. Hey, thanks for listening to another episode. If you don't want to miss one, make sure you subscribe to the show in your podcast app. And if you love it, be sure to share it with friends and colleagues who you think could benefit from increasing their digital marketing confidence. Want more? Head to MarianneAmys.com to find out how you can work with me directly, to reach out to have me speak at your event, or to grab yourself some free resources.